SummerSlam weekend has come and gone. And now the shows were good. But the big things came for Wrestle Addict Radio. If you did not know, we launched our Patreon on Sunday. You need to get on there, check it out. We have a whole network of shows that you get for just $5. You've got new shows from every single member of Wrestling Radio, and there'll be a new episode of what I call The Other Show, starring me, right now. The Other Show is my take on the world, just like I have my takes on wrestling. Loud, well, usually just loud, but loud, opinionated, and also a lot of fun. Check that out. Check out all the other shows on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon for just $5. Go to www.com slash Radio and become a patron. Also, check out WrestleAddictRadio.com. Brand new and live. It's, uh, it's a work in progress, but the site is there. It is beautiful, and it will get fleshed out more and more every single day. So, go become a Patreon, check out our website, and remember, this is the Gift Podcast. What's up, guys? This is the Gift Podcast. I am the Monday Night Delight. And, well, in the Champ versus King tournament, between myself and the King, quote-unquote, of the Gift Podcast, round one is a draw. We both went seven and two and one. And by the way, we'll get to the one and seven and two and one. But what a BS no good finish. We'll get there. Um, NXT TakeOver was great. SummerSlam was great. We'll talk about both of those. I do have a Raw. And uh, I was going to skip NXT for next week because usually, oh, the NXT after after a takeover is just kind of pre-show matches and, and not so good. And then I looked at what they were. The return of Brizongo and the breakout tournament final. Well, I guess I'll be watching NXT this week and two UKs because I skipped both of them this week. We will have a lot of NXT. A lot of next will be gotten next week. Uh, and of course, another Nitro. But tonight, SummerSlam, TakeOver, and... Retro Nitro from 2000, from uh, August 2000, a show that, uh, not as bad as last week, but definitely some stupid, stupid stuff. You can definitely tell Russo is back in control. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk NXT TakeOver Toronto from Saturday night, the 10th, 10th of August. Opening match, Angelo Dawkins, Montez Ford, The Street Profits versus The Undisputed Era, Kyle Riley, and Bobby Fish. Now, the last two TakeOvers have had tag team title matches. Last time, TakeOver 25 was the ladder match. And TakeOver New York was that amazing, amazing match between Ricochet and Aleister Black versus The War Raiders which is possibly the best match I've ever seen live. And so this match had a lot to live up for, and at the beginning, it just didn't. It was fine. There were no issues. But it was slow going. It was uh, O'Reilly and Angelo Dawkins, which huge size differential, but it was only so-so. And then about halfway through their 17 minutes, they kicked it into high gear, 
started flying off of stuff. Angelo Dawkins just kept knocking dudes over. Montez Ford started to fly over everything. O'Reilly and Fish were matching them flight and speed-wise. It was pretty good, but it ended up with Montez Ford pouncing both guys. Excuse me, Angelo Dawkins pouncing both guys. Montez Ford hitting the splash from the top rope, and the Street Profits would pin the Undisputed Era to retain their title. Now, that put my booking for the whole night offsides because I had booked the Undisputed Era to leave this building with all the gold in NXT, and they lost their very first match to do so. Well, that that put a damper on my entire night. But I still had a lot of fun watching this show. Match number two, Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. I expected this match to go about 45 seconds. I thought Io was going to attack her and either submit her or hit the moonsault and beat her like that. And no, before, just as soon as the bell rang, Candice was on Io. And this turned into a real good brawl real fast. And then it got into some techno wrestling. Candace can fly. Io can fly. Candace got backdropped or backdropped or suplexed. One, but directly on her back onto the announce table. And it didn't break because her weight's not that big. And I guess this one wasn't gimmick to break. And she just bounced off this thing and barely made the 10 count back in the ring. It... They got in the ring. They did the wrestling. Uh, Io went for the moonsault. Candice moved, was going for going to finish her off, but Io locked in this new submission and choked Candice out. She did not tap. She passed out, and that's a great finish. That's a great finish because it protects Candice. It makes her look tough. It makes her like, oh, I, I didn't tap out. I wasn't going to tap out, but it makes Io look dominant because she won. And won in decisive fashion. And I said it on Twitter. EO is a billion times better as a heel than she is as a babyface. The only problem is the champion is a heel. And granted, EO shouldn't be facing Shayna right now anyway. So EO needs to keep killing some babyface girls for a while. You know, when Dakota Kai comes back, Tegan Knox is back now. Just feed EO a bunch of babyfaces until a, until a babyface has that title. And then put EO versus her. By Survivor Series, you could probably have a nice babyface versus heel EO setup. Next up was supposed to be the Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong. But out of the crowd comes bro. 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 Matt Riddle comes out of the crowd, calls out Killian Dane. Killian Dane comes out. They have another brawl. It is, I mean, these two have a spectacular brawl. All of these referees come out to stop them. They can't stop them. Security comes out. Of course, it's indie guys. Matt Riddle kills five security guards. Just boom, 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 boom. Killian Dane kills a couple. They fight over to the edge of the stage. Matt Riddle jumps up on Killian Dane to lock in the sleeper, but he can't put him out. Killian Dane sees the ledge, runs towards the ledge, and not satisfied to kill just one man, grabs an indie guy on the way down and kills Matt Riddle and another bro. In one fell move. This is going to be great. Killian Dane and Alexander Wolf are thriving. And Nikki Cross is thriving outside of sanity. Poor Eric Young. We do finally get to the Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong. This match uh, was on from the word go. And the story was great. The, the guys would team up with each other for 
15, 20 seconds at a time, except I don't know if Strong and Dunn ever did. But I know that Dream teamed up with both Dunn and both Strong uh, when he had opportunity, and as soon as it broke down, they would just start wailing on each other. At one point, he was teamed with Strong, or he was teamed with Dunn, they dumped Dunn out of the ring, and you just see Dunn behind him shrug and start beating up the Dream. At one point, Dream and Strong have, are beating down Dunn, and then Strong just looks up and punches the Dream right in the face. Also beautiful there. Finish comes, Strong hits the the lumbar check, or the the Strong, whatever, whatever he, the thing where he drops the code breaker in the back of the, or the uh, backstabber. But Dream runs in, he dumps the, he dumps Strong, and he pins Pete Dunn to retain the North American Championship. I was legitimately surprised. I, I could have been iffy on the Street Profits. I was certain Roderick Strong was leaving with this title, and he did not. And I was surprised. Wasn't unhappy, but I was surprised. Shayna Baszler versus Mia Yim so, uh, for the NXT Women's Championship. This match did not click. This match did not go as I thought it would. This match was missing something. It was clunky. It was ill-timed. And I don't blame either woman. Something just didn't flow right about this match. And it could be that EO and Candice had such a fast-paced, high-flying type match that this ground-based submission-based match didn't just didn't go. I bought one near fall where Mia hit the code blue off the top rope. But... It came down where Shayna locked in the the clutch on Mia, and I believe Mia tapped out. I don't believe they did two pass-out finishes, so Shayna's still your champion. She did it without Duke. She did it without Shafir. Shayna is still the boss of the NXT Women's Division. The question is, who's next? Who is next on Shayna's radar? I don't know. We'll find out soon, though. And then your main event, two out of three falls... Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, fall number one, went probably 20 minutes, had a real good wrestling match, I mean, with countouts, with, I mean, everything, there there was no, there was no holes, all the holes were barred, is what I'm saying. All the rules were there, and so they had to abide by those, until Johnny Gargano's like, you know what, screw this, gets a chair, and hits Adam Cole with it over and over again, gets disqualified from fall number one, and then you hear the announcers, or the announcer woman go, fall number two is a street fight. And you just see Gargano go, oh, really? Okay. And he begins to pound on Adam Cole again. They brawl all around the ring. Uh, They brawl all around the arena. They come back to the ring. And... Johnny Gargano beats Adam Cole, I believe taps him out with the Gargano escape to make it 1-1, going into the regal pick stipulation, which is, funnily enough, compare, uh, talking about what we talked about Nitro, a House of Pain weapons chamber barbed wire at the top steel cage match, where you can't escape, you must win by pinfall or submission. And then for 30 minutes, these two, I mean, killed each other. Kendo sticks, chairs. Uh, there was a sledgehammer at one point. I don't believe Gargano, or I don't believe Adam Cole used the sledgehammer at all. Gargano walloped Adam Cole right in the ribs with this sledgehammer. I mean, just killing the guy. And it was awesome. 
Gargano set up two tables and a ladder. There was what I thought was a pane of glass hanging above the ring in one of the corners. Turned out it was not a pane of glass. It was just some kind of metal platform. Uh, but Gargano found a, a bag of bolt cutters, went up, he got himself a length of of barbed wire that had about two barbs on it, so maybe cut a little better next time, Gargano. He brings Adam Cole all the way up to the top. He's he's going to hit him with his length of barbed wire, but Adam Cole grabs him, hip tosses him off the top, through the tables on the ground, manages to roll over on top. One, two, three. Adam Cole retains the NXT title in brutal, brutal fashion. Well done, Adam Cole. Well done, Johnny Gargano. This was a beautiful, beautiful match. Um, the last image we see as the Undisputed Era, three guys with no gold helping the broken down champion up the ramp to celebrate. Good time was had by all. I really, really enjoyed this takeover. Without missing a beat, let's hop over to SummerSlam. There were three pre-show matches. I only watched one of them because I only tuned into one of them. Drew Gulak versus Only Lorcan. Drew Gulak retained the Cruiserweight title. Buddy Murphy defe- defeated Apollo Crews when Rowan attacked him and told him, you got to keep your name out of my mouth. Or that, nope, switch that. Keep, your, keep my name out of your mouth. Buddy, uh, Buddy Murphy, of course, was the one who accused Rowan of, of hitting Rowan with that car. And then I did see this match. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeated the Iconics in the return match for the tag team titles. Uh, Alexa Bliss was dressed as Buzz Lightyear. Billy Kay was dressed as Maleficent. And Alexa Bliss is a proper babyface. Those are the three big takeaways from this match. Um, the match was fine. Only went six minutes. You could not have done a four-team elimination match in this time. This was, this was all right, right here. Then we get in the show proper. Becky Lynch and Natalia opened the night in their submission match. Becky was loved, even though Natalia's from Canada. The only thing Becky did that really got her some heat is she locked in the sharpshooter, and you do not lock in a sharpshooter if you are not Canadian in Canada because people are going to start looking for someone to read the forkin' bell. Didn't happen, though. Uh, Natalia escaped. She locked in the disarmer and pretty convincingly had Becky on the ropes. However, Becky escaped would lock in the December of her own, and Natalia would tap out almost immediately. Natalia loses this chance. Becky Lynch, your Raw Women's Champion going forward. Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler. This match, I was going to say this match was everything you expected to be. It wasn't. The bell rang, and Ziggler hit this beautiful super kick, and Goldberg went down, and I bought it. It's like, they're going to have Go- they're gonna have Ziggler pin Dolph, or Ziggler pin Goldberg. One, two, Goldberg kicks out. Ziggler hits another super kick. He's like, no. One, two, kicks out. Goldberg hits a spear. Goldberg hits a jackhammer. Goldberg wins the match in two minutes. To, to Ziggler's credit, he lasted longer than Lesnar did at Survivor Series a couple years ago, but not by much. After the match, Ziggler gets the uh, mic. says, Goldberg, you're not mad enough to face me. It felt like I got hit by a baby. You couldn't take me on if you wanted to man-to-man. Goldberg gets back in the ring and hits another spear on Ziggler, this one turning him almost inside out. He leaves. He goes backstage. Ziggler says, give me that mic. Goldberg, anybody get lucky twice? You can't beat me man-to-man. You can't do it. Goldberg's music hits. He comes back out on his own. He hit, or he lifts Ziggler up to his feet. He gives him a pat on the shoulder. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to do the Undertaker-Jeff Hardy thing where he, he, he endorses Ziggler, that young up-and-comer that's been around for like 14 years. He's going to endorse Ziggler. 
Nope. Bounces off one rope, bounces off the other, and spears him. That's the move that Roman Reigns used to beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. But no, Goldberg used on Ziggler here, almost tore him in half. Ziggler either learned his lesson or couldn't find a microphone in time, and that was the end of that segment. So Goldberg looks dominant once again. Time to go back into hibernation, Bill. We'll see you in five or ten years in Saudi Arabia. AJ Styles with the club, or the OC, or whatever they're called, versus Ricochet. Um, I hate to say this. This was my go-get-a-plate-of-food match um, because I went to get a plate of food. Uh, uh, we, we had some homemade Chinese food. It's tradition in our house to eat Chinese on SummerSlam Sunday, but we couldn't get to a buffet today, so we cooked our own. Uh, Korean barbecue ribs, which is not Chinese food. It's Asian food. Uh, homemade orange chicken vegetables rice it was delicious but it was ready about the time this match started so i spent most of this match bebopping around the kitchen with my wife and jackie and the kids and i came back in here just in time to see ricochet come off the top rope get caught in the styles clash and lose this match aj styles retains and because aj styles retained i tied with mitchell if aj had won right or if Ricochet had won right here. I would have come out of this 1-0. But we're coming out of this 0-0-1. We will see what happens next. Bailey versus Ember Moon. This match was fine. I'm saying that a lot. I feel like I'm saying that a lot of stuff on SummerSlam was fine. And a lot of stuff on SummerSlam was fine. Bailey won this match with the Bailey to Bailey off the top rope. Nothing really spectacular about it. Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. This match was not fine. Um, Elias was brought as a special guest enforcer. It was a Shane McMahon match. It was clunky, but when he hit, he looked like he was killing Kevin Owens. The finish was at least somewhat creative. Both Kevin Owens, or both Elias and the actual ref got bumped on the outside. Kevin got a chair. He laid into Shane. He uh, tossed the chair out when the ref got in the ring, or the ref took the chair to get rid of the chair. With the rest backwards turned, Kevin Owens punted Shane right between the uprights, hit the stunner, and pinned him. That's all she wrote. Um, yeah, with a Shane McMahon match, you expect him to jump off something high, and he didn't jump off anything, and so there's literally nothing to talk about in this match. Charlotte Flair and Trish Stratus. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, Trish looked great. Trish still has it. Trish this, Trish that. Yo, I thought Trish had lost a step. I thought Trish had ring rust. I, you know, she hit her spots, but everything looked just a little bit iffy. You know, her her foot placement didn't look right. It looked like she was off balance a lot. I didn't like this match. I'm just getting, I'm seeing a lot of people that liked it better than I did. Um, I don't know. Charlotte. Or at one point, Trish locked in the figure four, bridged it into the figure eight. Really cool spot there, but. Charlotte would lock in the, the figure eight and Trish would tap out doing the honors on her way out the door, her retirement match. I don't know. I didn't like it. I, I liked it. I think a lot of people liked it a lot better. So that's it for Trish Stratus. I do believe Kobe Kingston versus Randy Orton. Let's talk about this match because this match to me was worse than Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon. And it doesn't seem possible considering that neither one of the guys in this match are as bad as Kevin Owen or as bad as Shane McMahon. But here's the thing. This was a Randy Orton match. It was slow. It was plotting. There were rest holds. There was a, you know, there was no speed to it. 
And Kofi Kingston thrives in speed. Kofi Kingston thrives being able to to fly and run and jump. And Kobe and Randy Orton wasn't doing any of that. And then the finish, Kobe comes off the top rope, gets hit with the RKO, rolls out to the outside, right in front of his wife and sons. Orton gets uh, to the outside, and this is where Kofi's son stole the show. He's making he's making muscles and mean faces at Randy Orton, and Orton is just staring him down and badmouth him. He picks Kofi up by the dreads and shows his face to to his sons, and then the bell rings. What? Apparently, apparently. The ref was counting them out this whole time. So this match ends in a double countout. Kofi flips out that Orton would dare talk to his sons. He grabs a kendo stick. He lays out Orton. He leaves him a welted up mess, which means, of course, that we're doing Kofi and Orton in some kind of weapons or no holds barred or street fight at Clash of the Champions. And I got a bad feeling. I got a real bad feeling that we aren't definitively done with Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston. And I think Randy Orton may be the guy that ends the dream of Kofi Kingston. We'll see what happens. They followed up the mess that was with the highlight of the show, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, versus Finn Balor. Finn comes out all white. I didn't think it was a good look. My friend Jackie disagreed. And then the lights go down. And music begins, or they, they start with the Firehouse Fun, uh, Firefly Funhouse theme. And then it shifts into this really eerie, redone version of the Bray Wyatt Firefly theme. And then the Fiend walks out, carrying the head of Bray Wyatt. It's Bray Wyatt's head, his mouth is pried open, there's, there's a lantern inside, and... The dreadlocks are wound together on top to be the handle. This legitimately gave me the the heebie-jeebies. This is so perfect for the new character. This looked amazing. And before the Fiend even got to the ring, I was sold on the Fiend 100%. They started the match. The Fiend was dominant for a long time, and then he seemed to get some kind of... Uh, of message from his hands that maybe he didn't need to be attacking Finn quite so harshly. Finn took this advantage to hit his drop kicks. He's going for the coup de gras, and the Fiend reaches up and grabs him by the mouth, locks in the mandible claw, puts Finn down. He passes out. He gets pinned. The Fiend is victorious, and then he disappears into the darkness, and I don't need to see the Fiend again until Survivor Series. We don't need to see the Fiend every week. The Fiend needs to be a special attraction only. But it worked so, so well in this match. I could not take my eyes off of it when he was coming down the ring, even though I was getting that that prickly feeling on the back of my neck. Loved it. So, so good. And then your main event, Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar for the WWE Universal Championship. It was about 9-10 when they started coming to the ring. I was like, are they giving these guys 40 minutes? Is Brock Lesnar going 40 minutes? No. The show was going to end at 9-30. But Brock comes down to the ring. Seth comes down to the ring. And it looks like Brock's just going just gonna to hammer on Seth. And then he goes for a suplex. And, and Seth flips onto his feet. Hits a super kick. Goes for a pin. Doesn't get it. 
Brock goes for another suplex. Seth flips out again, hits another super kick, goes for the finish. No good. They go to the outside. They brawl. Brock hits the corner. They go back to the ring. Brock hits an F5. But Seth kicks out. Seth hits the stomp. But Brock kicks out. Seth goes for another stomp. Brock picks him up for the F5. Seth wriggles free. Super kick. Curb stomp. One, two, three. Seth Rollins is your universal champion one more time. And don't get me wrong. I'm happy that Brock isn't going to be holding the title hostage. But I could have gone a few more. You know, I I didn't think Seth was the guy to do it. Because they've kind of killed the Seth character the last couple weeks. I thought it should have been Roman. I thought we should have gone Survivor Series. But all said and done, Seth Rollins is your champion. A good finish. A happy finish to the end of, of SummerSlam. And now we see what happens on Raw tonight. Let's hear a couple words from our friends over at WrestleLike Radio, and we'll be right back. What is going on, everybody? This is your resident Universal Royalty King, Ricky Rose, speaking. And if you like what you're listening to right now, I want to invite you guys to check out my wrestling show, the Kings of the Rings podcast, coming out with a new episode each and every Friday right here on Wrestle Addict Radio. You don't want to miss it. What up, fam? It's your boy, J.C. Bones. And I'm Johnny Smarks in the house. And it's me, the gloriously handsome Doc Haas. And we are the 4th Wall WrestleCast. Starting January 5th, you can find us on the Wrestle Addict Radio Network on rantwithant.com. Come be a part of the biggest draw for the critics. The Marks! The casual. And the hardcore. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast, and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. And we are back. Nitro, the year 2000, August 28th, starts with a 60-second video of the NWO. The N-W-O. What? Why? Are they showing up? Did they reform on Thunder? That seems like something important. But it turns out that no, they didn't reform. There's no NWO on this show. Yes, it, it happens that Nash and Steiner and Jarrett are now working together again. And they yes, they all happen to be NWO guys. But they're not NWO now. The closest we got was, was Nash's Outsiders gear. And even then, it didn't say NWO on it. So what was the point of this video? I see no point whatsoever. So thank you for nothing, Nitro. Steiner, Jarrett, Nash, and Russo all arrive in a limousine. No opening pyro this week. Goes right to Vampiro and the ICP. Violent J, Shaggy 2 Dope. Coming out to take on three count. This becomes announcers talking about something else. Match of the night number one. Uh, and that is Muta on commentary, and he is just yelling in Japanese as loud as he can. That is his entire commentary. And then the ICP pins Shannon Moore after hitting the nail in the coffin and some kind of violent J-slam, and Shaggy 2 Dope hits a frog splash. Shannon Moore gets pinned by all three members of ICP and Vampiro. Tank Abbott comes out, kills all... Uh, actually, no, I was thinking he killed the clowns. He didn't come to kill the clowns. He came to kill Three Count. Apparently, they turned on him on Thunder. ICP, Vampiro, and the Great Muta team up with Three Count. Now, there's a co- collaboration I'd love to see. 
they all take out Tank, the demon, another musical entity represented here, comes out to save Tank Abbott. Sting comes out to help the demon save Tank Abbott from the ICP. That's a weird sentence. And when it's over, Sting and the demon and Tank Abbott stand tall in the center of the ring. I thought I was having a fever dream or an LSD flashback when I've never taken LSD, so that would be weird. Russo, Nash, Jarrett, and Steiner and the Meat Sweats all come out to the ring. The Meat Sweats form a human shield, probably a sweaty one, between the ramp and Russo. Russo calls the group in the ring the elite. Hang on to that a second. And says the band is back together. But it's not the NWO. There are no NWO t-shirts around. Jarrett talks everyone on the team up. And he challenges the big turd, Mike Awesome, to a bunkhouse brawl match at Fall Brawl. Steiner gets on the mic, and that's always fun. He calls out Goldberg, insults Beth Goldberg one more time. Nash gets on the mic, explains how he tricks the fans into buying his merchandise two or three times a year. But now that he's got all the money, he doesn't care to be a good guy, and he just wants to be the champion again. He says he'll win the title at Fall Brawl. Russo says, Nash, you're wrong. You'll win the title tonight. And he books Nash versus Booker with Jarrett and Steiner as refs slash enforcers. Booker comes out, tells to save the drama for their mama, and tells Russo to pick one of his guys for him to beat up tonight. Booker clearly not paying attention to what's happening because Russo's already done that. He picked Nash. Booker needs to beat up Nash and retain his title. That's what Russo just said. But Booker not paying attention. The cat comes out, says Russo can't book any matches. He's just the writer, remember? He sends Mrs. Jones to get his karate suit out of the car, and Booker and the cat head to the ring. The cat is not wearing his karate suit, which is probably the problem later on in this segment. The heels all attack cat and Booker. Uh, the filthy animals run down to save the cat and world heavyweight champion Booker from Russo's team and the meat sweats. Nash nearly takes Ray's head off his shoulder with a boot. I mean, oh my God. This looked low. It caught Nash right in the chest. Or excuse me, caught Ray right in the chest, but the top of, of his boot went right into Ray's nose. Luckily, Ray seemed to come out of this fine. Hoovy, he gets up for a really plush slam from Steiner, but he's wiggly, and Steiner almost loses hold of him, but he slams him down without killing him. A video begins to play on the screen with Goldberg digging a grave in the middle of the desert. He's talking, but the audio is so poor, can't hear a word, he says. The announcers translate that Goldberg said he's going to torture, kill, and bury Vince Russo in the desert. This was all one long segment. This was about 15 minutes of these idiots in the ring. And it encompassed about... God, how many guys were in this segment? Russo, Steiner, Jarrett... Nash, there are six meat sweats, that makes ten. Booker and the cat, that's twelve. The filthy animals are five strong, counting Tigress, that makes seventeen. And then Goldberg in the desert makes eighteen. Eighteen guys in this one segment. Holy crap. Nash, Jarrett, and Steiner bail on Russo. Said, uh, they all had stuff to do, they weren't going to protect him from, from Goldberg. Goldberg calls Russo and is talking to him. Russo knocks the phone off the desk, but we can still hear Goldberg perfectly. One of those magic wrestling phones. 
with speakerphone built in, but the guy talking still has to pick up the receiver. Paisley versus Tigress versus Major Guns in a triple threat women's match. This is the most WCW thing of the night. Paisley hits a high kick to the back of Major Gun's head. Tigers pins Major Gun in, in 30 seconds. But both the announcers, Madden and Shivani, says, that was only two count. There's only two count. Match isn't over. Even though the bell has rung, Paisley has left, and Tigers is celebrating. But Shivani says, no, that was only two count. How can the match be over? And then I'm looking at the filthy animals busting into the meat sweats locker room backstage. What happened here? Were the instruct were the announcers instructed to think that this match was was not over yet? Was the, was the finish supposed to be something different? But that previous segment went so godforsaken long they had to cut time. What happened here that the announcers were saying, "Oh, the match isn't over," when the match clearly was over and went to another camera? A sip of water. A truck arrives backstage with a bed full of guitars and. and Jared's just waving them in. So Jared has brought no less than three dozen guitars to the arena here this evening. Pam is backstage with that 70s guy, Mike Awesome. I thought this was next week. I thought I had more time than this. No. Sweet wrestling Jesus. Mike Awesome is here in a baby blue leisure suit. Ooh, this was a bad look. And then... Music starts playing in the background, and it's a cheap knockoff of "Can't Get Enough of Your Love," and it's it's funky and it's awesome, but it's not awesome because it's Mike Awesome. This oh, this was no no good. He challenges Rick Steiner to a bunkhouse brawl match tonight to prepare for his match with Jeff Jarrett in a bunkhouse brawl match at Fall Brawl. I think is what happened. Chronic versus the Harris Brothers in a House of Pain match. Of all the WWE gimmicks to bring back. The House of Pain. If you don't remember the House of Pain, I'll explain it to you. The House of Pain is a cage match where you only win. The only way to win is to handcuff your opponent to the side of the cage and beat him to death. That is the way the rules were explained when it was Sting versus Vampiro. That the only way they can win is to beat your opponent to death. I, well, I guess they didn't say to death. They said to unconsciousness. Well, in that first match, Sting handcuffed Vampiro to the ropes, hit two Stinger splashes, and left. In this match, Chronic 1 threw Harris Brother 2 into the side of the ring. Or into the, cage, the cage door or cage wall broke off, and they fell the outside, brawled to the back, and that was the finish in this match, where the only way to win is to beat your opponent to death. And the best part is Tony Giovanni said, oh, I've never seen this happen before. It happened in the triple threat cage match, a triple tier cage match with Jarrett, Arquette, and DDP. It happened when your biggest guy, the giant, defected to WWF and threw Stone Cold through a cage door. It's happened, Giovanni. Stop making up crap. You got a big case the first time ever, and yours is all crap. Storm and Nick Skipper walked down the hall. Lance Storm comes out the ring, challenges the MIA to a POW match. That's classy. Where the winner will take one member of the opposite team prisoner. General Huge Erection leads the MIA to the ramp, says, That's fine, but it's going to be a prisoner of war tables match, and you're going to face AWOL, brother. So Storm and AWOL go down to the ring. 
60 seconds later, Elix Skipper kicks AWOL in the back of the head. He falls through a table on the outside. Lance Storm wins the POW tables match and takes Major Guns prisoner. That's that. Pam is with Sting. He apparently has a match with the Great Muta later. Booker puts on his boots. Rick Steiner versus Mike Awesome in a bunkhouse brawl match. This becomes announcer talking about something else match of the night. Number two. They talk about Goldberg digging a grave and Nash versus Booker later on in the night. Steiner wins in two minutes after Jarrett comes out and hits Mike Awesome with a pipe. Booker walks down a hall. Nash versus Booker for the WCW World's Heavyweight title with Jarrett and Steiner as special guests, refs, and ring enforcer. The first three quarters of this match, Jarrett appears to be calling this right down the middle. But Russo, the focus of the whole match, is on commentary saying, how can Jarrett do this to me? How can Jarrett not go along with the plan? I'm going to have him fired. I'm going to take care of Jarrett myself. And then Russo grabs Jarrett's guitar, hands it to Jarrett. Jarrett hits Booker and then helps Russo clear the remnants out of the ring, even though Jarrett himself is the referee. Nash has to hit his jackknife powerbomb and pins Booker T to win the world's heavyweight championship. Booker reigned for 50 days, not counting the two minutes last week where Chuck Palumbo was champion. I think that's the longest reign since I've been doing these Nitro reviews. He had a pay-per-view title defense in which he won. That makes him the best champion. I believe someone is cutting grass right outside my window. If you can hear that, thank my neighbors. Sweet wrestling geez. I'm doing a podcast here, bro. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I see you right out my window. Please go away. I'm going to leave all this in because y'all seem to be charmed by my southern small town eloquence. Well, it comes with that crap every now and then. Good Lord. Nash and crew are backstage celebrating. Booker tries to leave, but Goldberg says, hey, 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 let's go do some violence instead. And Booker's like, yeah, okay, that sounds pretty good. The franchise is on the upper decks yelling at Kidman. Challenges him to a scaffold match at Fall Brawl. A scaffold match might be the most dangerous thing I've ever seen WCW do. And it will be one of the things I watch on Fall Brawl just to make sure that no one dies. I know that Kidman and Shane Douglas are both alive today. Is Shane Douglas alive today? I'll figure it out. But regardless, um, Crowbar attacks the franchise for no good reason. Looks down from uh, looks down from the balcony, and there's Daphne with her new boyfriend. Apparently, at some point, she broke up with Crowbar to be with this guy. He gets distracted. Franchise throws Crowbar off the top rope, or off the top, off the top of this balcony, through a table down below. He fell a story onto a table onto concrete. This was stupid. This was as bad as Canyon's fall from the other from the other show, but y'all didn't learn anything. And how, why is it that every time Bret Hart's on a show, y'all throw somebody off something high? Do y'all not understand that his brother fell off something high and died? You guys not get that, or you just don't care? Anyway, franchise. we follow Franchise all the way down the stairs from the top of the arena to the bottom to the ring. Says that there's nobody man enough backstage to face him. Goldberg comes out. Goldberg kills Franchise. Nash is taking a shower. 
they put this big blur spot on it, so we think that Nash is actually naked in the shower. But, but, A, there's no water running, there's no steam, so either Nash takes cold showers, fine, it's good, better for your skin anyway, or this was all bullcrap. Uh, also, the big blur on him, you could see the outline of his underwear on his hip. So, way to go, WCW production team. Uh, Booker kills him in the shower, leaves him for dead. Steiner bails on Russo. He's like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm out. David Flair and Ms. Hancock are getting married in two weeks. And I remember how this goes from the, from the stories and from the history books. I can't wait. Can not wait. Jarrett versus Big Vito. This becomes announcers talking about something else. Match of the night number three? Four? Who cares? Um, they talk about Goldberg and Russo. And Jarrett wins with the stroke after about three minutes. Mike... Uh, awesome. Okay, this is the funniest thing that happened ever in WCW. Jarrett's leaving the building. He's looking for Mike Awesome. He's he's getting out of there. He goes to his truck full of guitars to grab another weapon. And surprise! Mike Awesome jacking the boxes out of his truck bed full of guitars and just throws Jarrett on top of them, breaking all of them. And that's funny. It's funny itself that all of a sudden Mike Awesome whoosh appears out of a pile of of, of guitars. That's hilarious. But it's even more hilarious to think about how he got in there. He had to see Jared's truck full of guitars and go, okay, I got an idea. And he burrows out a little hole about Mike Awesome's size to get in. And then he finds random crew guy, hey, Doug Dillinger, hey, AJ Styles, who will be there in a couple weeks, come here. I'm going to lay down in this truck full of guitars. Pile them on top of me a little. Not too much. Make sure I'm hidden, but make sure I can pop out of here without any hindrance and attack Jeff Jarrett. And then he laid there in wait. God, that's funny. Is that not funny to you? That's hilarious. The process that Mike Awesome had to go through to to jump out of this trunk full of guitars and kill Jeff Jarrett. Maybe it's just me. I think it's hilarious. The Meat Sweats come back out to the ring. Madden calls them the Young Bucks. In the same show, we've had a group referred to as the Elite and another group referred to as the Young Bucks. Is this the only wrestling show that Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and Matt and Nick Jackson ever saw? Because it seems like it. They say, oh, we can base our entire career off this one show. The Young Bucks, the Elite. You also have the issue of, this is this is TNT 20 years ago, talking about the Young Bucks and the Elite. It's like, you know the Mandela effect where it seems like we're in a parallel dimension? What if these shows are from a dimension where AEW started years ago and then failed? Does that does that play out? No? I don't care. This, I mean, it just strikes me odd. That they're, I mean, yes, they're, I get it. They're just words and they're just terms and metaphors. But that's weird, dude. That is really weird that they would use both those phrases in the same show. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, above average Mike Sanders does some talking. And I hate him. They challenge the filthy animals to a five-on-five elimination match. Well, wait a second. You may say, Delight. There are six members of the Meat Sweats, and there are five members. Are there are four members of the filthy animals. Well, you'd be right there, random listener to the Gift Podcast. But I say this. Meat is hurt at the moment. He can't actually wrestle. So it isn't so much the meat sweats as it is the sweats. So you got Reno 
Palumbo, Jindrak O'Hare, and above Anders Mike above Anders Mike Average. That's what I said. Against the Filthy Animals, Conan, Disco, Ray, Hoovy, and Tigress. Tigress pulling double duty on this night in Nitro. She won this match earlier against Major Guns and Paisley, and now she's going to wrestle in a Survivor Series match against five jacked-up dudes and uh, four jacked-up dudes and Mike Sanders. I had it in my head that I was going to time this match and just record every single elimination, how fast they got eliminated, but that's not how they did it. Apparently, there were this was a tornado-style match, and when Reno and Palumbo and O'Hare and Jindrak and Disco and Conan and Hoovy and Ray brought to the outside, the ref counted all eight dudes out. So that left above-average Mike Sanders versus Tigress for the final fall. And she kicked him low, not his qualification, put him in the corner, hit him with a face full of stuff. That's what they called it. It's a Bronco Buster. And Mark was like, oh, it reinvigorated Mike Sanders because he popped up, no damage whatsoever, and hit his his crossover backbreaker and pinned Tigress. This looked really bad. Uh, Tigress is small. Tigress is a thin little woman, shorter than Mike Sanders, so he's basically got her by the face and pulling her neck first across his back. This is not the way intergender wrestling should be. I just It's just icky all over. And the whole thing only lasted 5 minutes and 25 seconds for a 10-man elimination match. 10-person. Sorry, Tigers. Goldberg kills Steiner backstage with a pipe. Russo begs Vito for help. Russo gives him the, the Sicilian kiss of death and then takes him to the ring. Russo and Vito come out. Goldberg comes out. Russo says, Goldberg, you can't lay a finger on me or I will fire you. Vito lays out Russo with the stick ball bat. And then Goldberg gives him a set of keys. Why can Vito beat up Russo but Goldberg can't? What is it about Vito's contract that says, hey, I'm allowed to beat up my boss, but Goldberg's contract says that he can't? Anybody know? Is Vito fired? Probably not. The Great Muta versus Sting in what would turn out to be the main event of the evening... The announcers talk about something else. Match of the night, number the last of this time. They talk about Russo being abducted. The uh, This match goes, uh, never makes it to the ring. I don't know if this match ever actually started. This match started in the the aisle. Muda and Sting uh, brawled. Sting never actually took off his coat. And then through the Nitro Vision, you see the silhouettes of Vampiro, Violent J, and Shaggy 2 Dope. They cut a hole in the Nitro Vision. They come through. There's some smoke. When the smoke clears, Vampiro jumps off the Nitro Vision and attacks Sting. Hits him with the Kindle Stick a bunch of times. But Sting climbs up to the to the Nitro Vision with Vampiro and Muta. The ICP drag him through the hole they made in the Nitro Vision. We see the silhouette silhouettes of them beating down Sting, and that's it. I I guess Sting lost. And then we go immediately out to the desert. Which I, I started thinking about it. The people in the building, if they could see this, were watching this on the Nitrovision screen that was just destroyed by the Insane Clown Posse. What jerks those guys turned out to be. But Goldberg meets Bret Hart in the desert of New Mexico. You know how far New Mexico is from Calgary? A long way. It's like 4,000 miles or 20 kilometers. 
And Brett's like, oh, yeah, thanks for doing this. No, nobody hates Russo as much as I do. Russo, you remember Montreal? You remember Survivor Series? You know, these things that happened in this other company that's now the biggest company in the world? You remember those things? Hey, Goldberg, give me a shovel so I can bury him in the desert. And Goldberg's like, all right, Brett. And never mind the fact that I kicked you as hard as I could in the head a couple years ago. Brings Brett a shovel. And so Brett hits Goldberg in the back of the head with a shovel. And Nitro goes off the air. What? I hate these unending shows, okay? Wrap it up a little bit. Have Brett walking off into the desert sunset with this shovel. Do something else. But don't just have it stop mid-swing of the shovel. You did this last time Brett was on. When he hit hit Hogan with a chair. And then we didn't see him again until he showed up in the deserts of New Mexico with freaking Goldberg. And what happened to Vito? How did Russo get out of the truck without without Goldberg laying a hand on him? Was Russo in line with Bret Hart? Or did Bret Hart just happen to be a happy accident? Will we ever find out? No. No, we won't. God. This has been the Gift Podcast. I am the Monday Night Delight. I am done. Done with this show right now. Uh, everything is bad in WCW in the year 2000. But everything is good with WrestleTalk Radio in the year 2019. Check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Radio. WrestleAtticRadio.com at Attic underscore Russell on Twitter and the Instagram. Facebook.com slash WrestleAtticRadio. Check us all out everywhere. Kings of the Ring podcast, Fourth World WrestleCast, Not Your Mama Soap Bopper, The Game Changer podcast, and of course, The Gift podcast every week right here. Check us out on YouTube, WrestleAttic Radio. We're everywhere, and we need you to be a part of us. I am the Monday Night Delight. This has been The Gift podcast, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye.